Ah, we have like this weekend next in Galatians, and then we're done with Galatians. When did we start? Anybody remember? Long time ago. I'm totally over it at this point. Well, we're going to squeeze every little ounce out of this book that we can. Howdy. Um, so turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Galatians 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10 today. If you have the Version Bible app, you can just click on events, find Reservoir Church, and all the scripture and notes will be there for you as well. And uh, just as a reminder, we have Common Table today, and so this is the fifth Sunday of the month, so it's an opportunity for us to share stuff that our families don't need anymore with each other, so make sure you check out the tables. And there's like a dolly and bins and trash containers. Those are all available, so they're not just there for any reason other than for you to take them. So if you need that stuff and can utilize it, please take them, or we're going to donate it to the Salvation Army. All right, Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Um, We should expect to harvest what we plant. Common sense. Reservoir Church is all about common sense, especially when it comes from Scripture, right? So we should expect to harvest what we plant. Hear the word of the Lord from Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Go ahead and underline that. That was a joke, guys, but you should underline it. Let the one who is taught the word share all the good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Well, good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, even these concluding movements in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, that there is not only great gospel declaration to be had, but there's a life to be lived in light of the gospel. And that in this word, we have some clues today. And Lord, there are some issues in this few verses that some of us are uncomfortable with, and maybe even the preacher preaching them might be uncomfortable. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come help us to see the truth of your word, and how it is us living like Christ for his glory and for our good. And that's our only desire, that Jesus would be lifted high in this place. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we should expect to harvest what we plant. That makes sense, right? Like if you plant a certain seed, you should expect to harvest what that plant will grow up to be. And not long ago on one of these, it seems like CBS News. Anybody watch CBS News? I always catch it like on social media. But always at the end of the newscast, right, there's always ha- there has to be a good story to be told because they've just spent a half hour telling you all the bad things going on in the world. So there's always this like redeeming story of look at what humanity is doing. And I remember not all that long ago they were highlighting, and I want to say it was Detroit. I, don't, I get the city wrong, but there was um, a movement of people that would plant wildflower seeds in vacant tree boxes and sidewalks. 
So you go in the sidewalk, you know, there's a little pat, a patch of dirt that sometimes has trees or other plants in it. And they would just be empty. And so people would just purposefully go through the city and drop seeds of wildflowers into those boxes. And the story rightly told was talking about turning uh, something beautiful from chaos, something disregarded, not even thought of, was now something breathing life into a neighborhood because there were beautiful flowers to be seen. Such a wonderful story. It almost motivated me to get a package of wildflower seeds and just be ready whenever. Um, but I'm really not that thoughtful, so I, I scrapped it. But it's a, it's a great idea. Like Maybe we should do that, right? Where we need to see some beauty that we might Planted, and what a picture of the Christian faith that is. But what fascinated me about this story is that those people, these young hipsters that were planting seeds, would do so not knowing which flowers they were planting. They had no idea what the mix of seeds that they were putting in the boxes would become. That was part of the fun that they would just see what would grow up, what would sprout up as. The seeds took to the earth and were watered and had life. And can you imagine a world where we never knew what the seed you planted would become? As if there was no way to know which seed would become an oak tree or which seed would become a corn stalk. Which seed would become a tomato or a potato plant, right? Could you imagine how devastating that would be to our society? I mean, you talk about supply chain issues as we experience them now. If you were planting a seed and you had no idea what the harvest would be, we would just revert culturally back to this existence of hunter-gatherers, hoping that the seeds we planted might provide something for food. Thankfully, in the order of God's will and the advance of humanity, planting and harvesting, the cultivation of crops doesn't work that way. There's not as much guessing as we think there might be. Seed science has removed much of that guessing game from our planting and harvesting. And I think it's just that seed science has actually caught up to the spiritual reality of sowing and reaping. Because spiritually, like internally, in our souls and in all of life, we know what to expect at harvest depending on what we have planted. You reap what you sow. And Paul here giving his final encouragement to those in the churches that are still clinging to the gospel that is rightly planted in their hearts reminds us that where we invest, we will actually see dividends. That it matters where we put our focus, where we give of ourselves, of our life and treasure. And he says here that either it's going to be eternal life you receive or it is destruction. It's flourishing or languishing. And we can benefit from the conversation because for us, if we're honest, each day is a decision of what we will sow and where we will grow, where we'll put our focus, where we'll give our energy, what we will hear and assimilate to. And It's to be uh, cautious in that, right? Because he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, he will also reap. It matters where you invest, what you sow. 
That's what I want from us, for us to take away this morning from this truth in Galatians 6, that it actually matters where you invest and what you sow in life, what you pursue, what you long for. In our text, I think because we're Trinitarian, we need three points. So there's three categories of sowing in, that we want to wrestle with. And I mean, it's going to it wrestle, be like trigger warning. We're going to talk about money, sex, and doing good. Three things that we're not often fond of from a fleshly perspective, but it's honor, life, and opportunity that we want to talk about today. So let's start with honor. Now, when you determine, as we do at Reservoir Church, to preach through Scripture and to say what the text actually says, you are occasionally stuck with truths that you might not prefer preaching. Right? Those things that we think everyone just assumes and that we could skip over so we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of things. But lest we be partially formed disciples of Jesus, let's take the whole thing. And that's we want to hear what the text has to say to the church. And Paul here, like spoiler alert, he is clearly instructing the churches to pay their leaders, specifically their teachers, right? This should be the easiest thing to catch from what Paul is saying. Those that communicate the gospel through the word should be shared with all good things. Paul is essentially saying, pay your pastors. And, and who likes preaching this? Right? I, not me, necessarily. It's an un, money. It's uncomfortable for us to talk about. And we don't talk about money a lot at Reservoir. We don't take up an offering at the end of the service. We just trust that you're going to participate in the opportunities to give on a regular basis. But truth be told, we should probably talk about money more as a church. Because if we want to see more consistency and more mission unfold around us, it's something that we have to get a hold of, that we have to submit to as the word calls us to. Appreciate the finance chairs back there giving a thumbs up, right? Martin Luther says, I do not like to interpret such passages, for they seem to commend us, the pastors he's talking about. And as in fact they do. In addition, it gives the appearance of greed if one emphasizes these things diligently to one's hearer. So know that there's a recognition of that. Like I know that preaching and saying things like pay your pastors seems very self-serving. And to some it may seem greedy. But you should know how we actually do finances at Reservoir as a church. Because our budget process, and we're, we're working through that cycle now, is transparent. If ever you want to know where our money goes, you can come to the budget meeting that's going to happen next month sometime. Or you can ask an elder or a finance team. And so it's transparent. You can see where every dollar goes that we bring in. We have that finance team that advises the elders. Actually, tomorrow at our elder meeting, they're going to be presenting uh, the recommended budget for 2022. And you should know that a big portion of our budget as a church goes to paying me. And, and the goal there is not to get rich or to become rich, but just to provide from for our family, to provide so that we can continue to do the work of ministry. But that money in the budget comes from somewhere. 
It doesn't just magically appear. We trust that if the Spirit wanted to just make it appear, He would. But following Scripture, it's that those that are involved provide. And from Paul's pen here in Galatians 6, it is those that are taught, those that are part of the church that give, that share all good things. What I want us to recognize that it's more than just paying the pastor, because what I think is actually at play here is honor. And honor entails reverence and respect, along with an adherence to a standard of conduct, like a way of living and thriving. And the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of honor. We know from Romans 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters take the lead in honoring one another. Some of our translations say outdo one another in showing honor. And so baked into the gospel is an honoring that includes providing for those that teach. And it's not unique to the call or the letter to the Galatian churches. We see it in 1 Timothy. Paul will write the elders who are good teachers. And I know some of you are underlining that. They're like, oh, there's our out. He's not a good teacher. But just hear it. The elders who are good teachers are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. To the Corinthian church, he'll write, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we'll not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Just, and it matches the wisdom of all of Scripture from Proverbs 3. It says, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Paul says here, who it belongs to, those that teach, those that lead, that serve the church. But it's always a sticky conversation, isn't it? And and maybe you're doing it like as I'm preaching, I'm doing that in my own head where they're like, well, yes, this is true, but it really sucks. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to give my stuff up. And even in the descriptions, Paul, like, like Paul is usually known for being blunt, isn't he? He's very direct, and especially in this book we've been studying in Galatians. But here he's seemingly hesitant. Like he just says, share all good things. He doesn't want to be direct. Like, make sure you're paying, you're giving income to these people. And I I share his hesitancy. The Lord has provided for our family through your partnership with the church. And we are so grateful for, for that. We recognize that. We don't, as people living in 2021, we don't always have what our flesh might desire, but we are not naive for a second to the gifts that we have been given. And so we've attempted to order our life in light of that, that we don't need all of those things. We can have something smaller. We can have less and still flourish because we're doing what the Lord has called us to do. And to truth be told, I, and some of you know this, I'm not a fan of pay increases for myself in the church. If we had other staff, I would be all about it. And even I had a conversation with John this week, like, I don't need any more money. Like, we're, we're fine. 
But you have to know that I'm against those increases because I want to see reservoir increase in other ways. I don't want this just to be a church that just provides for one pastor. I long for us to be able to expand our teaching and training ministry to serve more of the forgotten in our city, to provide deeper spiritual care to the family of faith that we have here. But when we face budget decisions with very tight margins, we are left as leaders to ponder how the vision must change or how we've missed what we're actually called to as a body. So if we have this vision of what the Lord wants to do with us, but there's not the resource to do it, what has to be set aside? And the truth is, when it comes to church, friends, no matter who you are, we are all socialists. We want all of the benefits of church, but we don't want to have to pay for it. And that's, that's me included. Right? Some of you already knew I was the biggest socialist in the church, and now I'm confirming it for you. But this is, this is the hard pill to swallow for us. But here it is. How you spend reveals your priorities. And our giving shows what we value. And, and this is, just isn't about reservoir. It's not, it's not about like our budget or meeting or what you're exactly giving to reservoir. It's not ultimately about the one who teaches. It's about God to whom you and I will both ultimately answer honoring and pleasing him ought to be our chief concern and when it is then things follow the description of what the lord commands in scripture and so you have to know that giving and sharing all good things with the one who teaches is not a negative thing or even a burden for us it should be a joy it is a freedom a gospel formed generosity because of what we've been given in christ And what Paul is presenting here to the churches in Galatia and to us is just a responsive way of living, recognizing what is healthy and what won't satisfy, giving back from what we have received. And that's all we're to do. Now, I know people have abused texts like this to get their uh, Mercedes or their shiny things or their new suit or whatever. And so there has to be accountability in that. We have that in our finance team and our eldership. But at the base, giving to the church is about honoring God, his commanded way of life for those that are his. He says he won't be mocked. That's a significant warning for us that we just kind of skate over. Don't be deceived. He will not be mocked by how you live in response to the gift of the gospel. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. There's a purpose to your sowing and reaping, that you'll excel in every good work, good works he's put before us and called us to. So honor. And this truth flows directly from and back into who reigns in our life. It says, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. In, in verse 8, 
And here Paul is just continuing the flesh and spirit distinction, and he's now pairing it with generosity. And Paul is painting here a picture of life surrendered to Christ. And when we get this piece right, the generosity stuff, the honor stuff will flow. Everything else will be ordered. Priorities will match Christ. Like we'll end up prioritizing what he prioritizes. And the call of the gospel is to live with a new king instead of self as ruler. One of those ways leads to destruction or corruption, and one reaps eternal life. It's the truth that you harvest what you plant. Your return depends on where you have invested. And we've encountered the bad fruit of the flesh already in our study, haven't we, in Galatians. And we see it in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things are not to be part of the identity of the church or the identity of Christians that make up the church. And for us in a world that says, if you want it, just go for it. If you feel it, let it define you. Get yours. Run after every desire. But here we know the truth that it actually leads to destruction when you live that way. You you just have to read up on our current existence. Just thinking of the disgusting use of puberty blockers in children based on a feeling in a moment. The relational brokenness in our world, because people have been told, just go after what you want. There's nothing of commitment or being bound to one another. There's abuse in the church and outside of people that think they should be able to go after their desires as if it's a normative thing, that it's where you're going to flourish. And scripture says, and we can all speak from experience, that those things are ruinous. They bring destruction. The flesh and the spirit distinction is the trouble of this age and every age. And it's the root, I think, of the fad of deconstruction going on in our time. Because it is just self over God. Self-divinity over the sovereign of the universe. Picking flesh over the spirit. And since I've already talked about money this morning, let's just talk about sex. There is a reason that sexual immorality is at the top of the list of the bad fruit of pursuing the flesh. And I would argue that deconstruction, departing from the faith, redefining God to match our liking, all finds its roots here. Because sexuality is deeply tied to our view and pursuit of self. Even that's what the world wants you to understand, that if you can define yourself differently than what God says you should define yourself by in sexuality, then you've derailed already. You've gone off of what the Spirit longs for. That which is meant to be a beautiful and sacrificial picture of the gospel has been cheapened to temporary pleasure and conquest. And the voices calling you to run after that are loud and prevalent in our day. And they are increasingly present, unfortunately, in the church. 
for a, a couple weeks just to let you into my own devotional life. I've started the day with two pieces of scripture, one about the spirit being breathed on us from Christ. And then this text from First Thessalonians 4. Paul, writing to the church, says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. And this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So you see the, the weight of that, the significance of sexual immorality that the world tries to tell us? It's just normative now. Like you just, you just live this way. In the very next sentence, Paul there in 1 Thessalonians will go on to talk about, and what about brotherly love? Like, go on loving one another. This is all so tightly bound together, like how we view self, what we desire, what we pursue, what we plant. God's will for those that belong to Jesus is sanctification. It's made clear in Scripture, and being transformed to becoming like Christ is the goal for us in the faith. And key to that is avoiding sexual immorality. You are called to holiness, and it's about choosing the flesh over God. It always is. Ten out of ten times, you can have a conversation with somebody who no longer has anything to do with the church or, or with God, and it is all so tightly bound to sexuality and what I view of myself. The question in following Jesus and sowing to the Spirit is, what are you willing to surrender in pursuit of Him? Just given what we know of Jesus and what He's done for us, what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to set the flesh aside to experience self-control and to run after the Spirit and pursue the fruit of the Spirit? What we sow is either acceptance or rejection of the grace of God to us. And when it comes to surrender, friends, anything less than everything is actually opposition to the way of the kingdom. Like Christianity just isn't like a 60% religion or faith or following or a way after Christ. It is like all or nothing. That's what he came for. A dear friend of mine's church, he's an elder at the church, they have a series going on that I've given him quite a hard time about, and it's called 1%. And it's such, in all the marketing materials, and some churches have marketing materials, it's an invitation to give just 1% of their lives to Jesus. Right? And I know it is a total bait and switch, so it's like they're not actually calling people just to give 1%. Um, but it's funny that that would actually be appealing to many of us, wouldn't it? Oh, come follow Jesus. You only have to give 1% of yourself to him. You only have to give 1% of your uh, treasure to him. You have to give 1% of your time to him. 
And we have this attitude like, well, Jesus can have my Sunday mornings or, or at least just two Sunday mornings a month. He can maybe even have 10% of my income because I'm super spiritual. And he can also have a, a one week night for small group. Like I'll do that. I'll give the Lord that. But I draw the line at my fantasy, my greed, my politics, my perspectives on what it means to love my neighbor. And when that's my perspective, that reaps destruction is what Paul is saying. And it really does. How many stories do we need of idolatry leading to corruption of the person or a separation from relationship or separation from our creator in that? Because listen, Christianity is not a joke or an association to take lightly. This is not a club. And there is opposition when you follow the spirit. The flesh doesn't like it. The world doesn't like it. And the devil doesn't like it. It's all around us. Jesus even tells his followers in John 15, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. Later on, he continues teaching them. and He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. There should be no confusion. Jesus tells us it is not going to be easy to follow him, to live in his way. That's why we need the work of the Spirit to help us. That's why we need him to be our peace. Because it truly is denying ourselves, taking up our cross for something far better than the flesh's corrupting fruit. Because we choose instead life. We choose transformation for the experience of the presence of God in our lives. And that's what the apostle wants the Galatians to sow into. That's as they've come back to the truth of the gospel, away from following after the flesh and attempting to earn their own salvation. He wants them to live this way. I'll say it to the Corinthian church as well in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, guys, fighting your flesh is going to be hard. You will need partners in that effort. You will need those that will surround you, hold your arms when you cannot lift them up and remind you of the grace of Christ for you in the midst of the battle. Sowing to the flesh reaps destruction. Sowing to the spirit is life. C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory, the New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. 
deepest sense of who we are, our longing and our desire for this life. Sowing to the Spirit, following the Spirit's guidance, submitting to his truth is the way of Jesus. It is meant to be our way. It is the way of eternal life. As Paul says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So planting to the spirit, to his leading and empowerment is actually life for us. It's described as a harvest. There is fruit. We've already talked about this in our study. So friends, recognize that this is actually good, sowing to the Spirit. There are going to be moments that it seems tremendously difficult. It is difficult to honor others when all we want is honor. It is difficult to pursue life when everything around us in our flesh, the world, and our enemy is screaming, well, just go after your flesh. Just go after self. But life is Good. The fruit of the Spirit is good. Transformation in Christ-likeness is good. And it is what our souls most desire and where we will actually find ourselves complete, whole, thriving, living in the love of God. So invest in the Spirit-driven life, if that's what we can call it. The Spirit sowing into life. Because when we understand honor and we give our life to this, then we will see the mission of the church as meaningful and good. This is the opportunity that we have before us. I was going to label this third and final category as obedience, but I know how that word just rubs some of us a little wrong. So, uh, and I recognize that maybe this has already been severe enough talking about money and sexuality. But let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up, Paul says. There is a reward to be had, a harvest at the proper time, and it will all be worth it. And we will experience it as we live into the opportunities that we are given to honor God and honor others and to stay in step with the Spirit, sticking with it because it is what we are meant for. Verse 10, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of faith. Now, today is Reformation Day, right? Good Christians, we want to celebrate Martin Luther nailing the 95 Reese's peanut butter cups to the door, or no, theses to the, the Wittenberg door. But it's also Halloween, right? For those of you that are going to indulge in a little sugar, probably the most prevalent costume this year for at least average middle-class white males is Ted Lasso, right? Because we all want to be Ted Lasso. How many people have already seen a Ted Lasso costume? And that was just Julie's going to be Ted Lasso. She's a big fan, right? But the actor that plays, and if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, like I'll commend it to you. Great show, lots of F-bombs, but that's how they talk in Britain. Um, Dave's saying no, don't commend it to you. Okay, don't watch it. Discern. 
But Jason Sudeikis, the, the actor, was on Saturday Night Live, where he used to be a cast member, and he was on last week. And in his monologue, he was sharing like his surprise at the success of Ted Lasso, that so many people were watching it, because it's about two things, he says, that Americans hate, soccer and kindness, Right? And this is described in Galatians 6. The ultimate kindness is us as believers working for the good of all. Being a redemptive influence wherever the Lord has actually put us. Longing and living for the renewal of others and all things is the language that we use at Reservoir Church. That people would meet and believe in Jesus. That the least would be cared for. That our neighbors and enemies would actually be loved. And this, friends, is the mission of the church. Right? If anybody asks you what's the mission of the church, take them to Galatians 6.10 to do good for all. Like That's a very inclusive all there. It means everyone else. Correct teaching enabled by the Spirit produces in us life and good works. So a true understanding of grace working through faith will actually result in good works from us. Like we'll understand we were made for this. And this is us then jumping on opportunities to give ourselves away for the good of someone else. And you want to be countercultural. There is nothing more um, opposite to our culture at the moment, that you would jump at an opportunity to seek the good of someone else, that you would sacrifice of yourself so someone else would be served. This might even be harder than giving away money for some of us. And it is our time, our energy, and our experience that Paul is calling us to give away. But it's exactly what the gospel produces in us, love of neighbor, love of others. They would see Jesus. The of all is here is broad on purpose. It's expansive for us. But it's also paired with priority. Maybe you noticed it. It said especially to the household of faith, to the church. Todd Wilson, a pastor and scholar, says this, the priority of the local church. He says the local church then must be our top priority. Why? Because it's our primary family. It is, the apostle says, the household of faith. It's where we find identity and security, receive nurture and nourishment, get encouragement and support, benefit from teaching and training, modeling and mentoring, discipline and discipleship. The local church is our spiritual home, and those who gather week by week are, biblically speaking, our true brothers and sisters. Here's the bottom line. We'll prioritize giving and serving to and with the local church when we're convinced the local church is the one-of-a-kind institution it truly is. Remember, Jesus is the head of no other institution and claims no other institution as his body. No other institution serves as the dwelling place for God or the residence of the Holy Spirit. There is no other institution that has so remarkable or far-reaching a history, tracing its roots back to before the foundations of the world, nor is there any other institution with the church's future extending as it does into eternity. 
Nor is there any other institution as global in scope or diverse in membership. And we won't find any other institution that's easier to enter, yet so impossible to forsake once we truly joined. And let's not forget the spiritual benefits of belonging to this unique institution. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So this is a place of priority for the church, for us, as we think of honoring, of living, and seeking opportunities to serve. Jesus made clear, right, in Matthew 6, that Christians' primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. When you submit to Jesus, you recognize his work for your salvation, you are now a kingdom citizen and meant to be aligned with that kingdom, with God as our heavenly father, rather than to our friends, the workplace, school, sports, or anything else, even earthly families. Our priority is to be the kingdom. And it's not a rejection of those things which are good in many ways or a rejection of relationships, but it's a commitment to something higher. A commitment to what we've been formed into, and it's where the Spirit leads. It's for the good of the family that Christ has bought with his own blood, where he's brought us into, formed us into. So we're not at a loss for opportunity, and we're given this family of believers to prioritize. And it paints the picture that the world will actually see. It's the image of humanity remade for the glory of Christ and for our good. And we do it all because, friends, we are headed somewhere. And this is the way that we travel home. That those that trust in Jesus for salvation live to honor, give their lives, and meet opportunities with obedience for the good of all. Becoming graciously generous because we've been lavished with grace and this is the way of living that looks like Jesus. Live this way and just remember Jesus. His entire life was devoted to sowing to the Spirit and not the flesh. Indeed, every single moment of every single day, that was his experience and way of life. And he was sustained by constantly keeping his eyes fixed on the joy that was set before him. This is the Jesus that honors. Think of the way he cared for those around him. He gives his life away in pursuit of the Spirit. He takes the ultimate opportunity to do this astonishing good for all of us on the cross and in his resurrection. So Christ is the great burden bearer who out of his own wealth shares all good things with the spiritually impoverished sinners like you and me. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Friends, his love is not poured out as a return on investment. It is poured out to motivate our investment. So be free of guilt today. If you felt it at all, we are justified in Christ and Christ alone, but we are invited to a way of life. So without guilt, we can come with renewed determination to live the way of Jesus. No longer for self but for his sake, for his glory.
because he gave his life for us. We can live into new life by the Spirit because we are approved of in Christ. We can extend care to others that are in need of rescue because we experience wave upon wave of grace in life. We can pour back all of who we are into this sowing into the Spirit. So we should expect to harvest what we plant. May it be honor, life, and opportunity. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't go up, give up. What a glorious day that will be for us when we discover that what we reap is completely out of proportion to what we have sown. The sacrifices we've made in this life will appear small to us, even to the point of insignificance on that great and majestic day when we are with Christ for all of eternity. Friends, if you plant corn, you will not reap watermelon. If you plant potatoes, you will not harvest tomatoes, and thanks be to God for that. You know the fruit of what you plant. So take the risk, trust God, and for the good of all and for his glory, live like this. Let's do it together for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, the the life that you gave for us, your body, given up your blood shed that we would have this experience of your grace that we would be rescued by you on purpose for the purpose of being formed into a family made part of your body not to live for self any longer but to live for your glory and for the fruit of the spirit or these are not easy things for us uh, as a way of living in a way of life but we ask holy spirit that you would help us For those that are thinking of new ways to honor or for new ways to live in light of who you are, help us, Holy Spirit, that we would sow into you and that you would produce fruit in us. Lord, for those of us who have yet to put faith in you for salvation, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in those hearts, that you would make clear your redemptive work and what you have called us to, what we were meant for, and how we can find ourselves in you. That you would work rescue even now for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.